Chapter Eleven, Part Two, of Equanimitas by Sir William Osler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eleven, Part Two, After Twenty-Five Years. Equally with the school as an organization, the teacher has felt deeply the changed conditions in medical education, and many of us are much embarrassed to know what and how to teach. In a period of transition, it is not easy to get orientert. In some subjects, fortunately, there is but the single difficulty, what to teach. The phenomenal strides in every branch of scientific medicine have tended to overload it with detail, to winnow the wheat from the chaff, and to prepare it in an easily digested shape for the tender stomachs of first and second year students, taxes the resources of the most capable teacher. The devotion to a subject, and the enthusiasm and energy which enables a man to keep abreast with its progress, are the very qualities which often lead him into pedagogic excesses. To reach a right judgment in these matters is not easy, and after all, it may be said of teaching, as Isaac Walton says of angling, Men are to be born so, I mean with inclinations to it. For many it is very hard to teach down to the level of beginners. The Reverend John Ward, vicar of Stratford-on-Avon, shortly after Shakespeare's day, made an uncomplimentary classification of doctors, which has since become well known. First, those that can talk but do nothing. Secondly, some that can do but not talk. Thirdly, some that can both do and talk. Fourthly, some that can neither do nor talk, and these get most money. Professors, similarly, may be divided into four classes. There is, first, the man who can think, but who has neither tongue nor technique. Though useless for the ordinary student, he may be the leaven of a faculty and the chief glory of his university. A second variety is the phonographic professor, who can talk, but who can neither think nor work. Under the old regime, he repeated year by year the same lecture. A third is the man who has technique, but who can neither talk nor think. And a fourth is the rare professor who can do all three, think, talk, and work. With these types fairly represented in a faculty, the diversities of gifts only serving to illustrate the wide spirit of the teacher. The dean, at least, should feel happy. But the problem of all others which is perplexing the teacher today is not so much what to teach, but how to teach it, more especially how far and in what subjects the practical shall take the place of didactic teaching. All will agree that a large proportion of the work of a medical student should be in the laboratory and in the hospital. The dispute is over the old-fashioned lecture, 
which has been railed against in good set terms and which many would like to see abolished altogether it is impossible i think to make a fixed rule and teachers should be allowed a wide discretion with the large classes of many schools the abolition of the didactic lecture would require a total reconstruction of the curriculum and indeed of the faculty slowly but surely practical methods are everywhere taking the place of theoretical teaching but there will i think always be room in a school for the didactic lecture it is destined within the next ten years to be much curtailed and we shall probably as is usual go to extremes but there will always be men who can present a subject in a more lucid and attractive manner than it can be given in a book sir william gairdner once remarked that the reason why the face and voice of the teacher had so much more power than a book is that one has a more living faith in him years ago murchison than whom great britain certainly never had a more successful teacher of medicine limited the lecture in medicine to the consideration of rare cases and the prominent features of a group of cases and to questions of prognosis which cannot be discussed at the bedside for the past four years in the subject of medicine i have been making an experiment in teaching only by a weekly examination on a set topic by practical work in the wards in the outpatient room and the clinical laboratory and by a weekly consideration in the amphitheatre of the acute diseases of the season with a small class i have been satisfied with the results but the plan would be difficult to carry out with a large body of students the student lives a happy life in comparison with that which fell to our lot thirty years ago envy not sympathy is my feeling towards him not only is the menu more attractive but it is more diversified and the viands are better prepared and presented the present tendency to stuffing and cramming will be checked in part when you cease to mix the milk of general chemistry and botany with the proper dietary of the medical school undoubtedly the student tries to learn too much and we teachers try to teach him too much neither perhaps with great success the existing evils result from neglect on the part of the teacher student and examiner of the great fundamental principle laid down by plato that education is a lifelong process in which the student can only make a beginning during his college course the system under which we work asks too much of the student in a limited time to cover the vast field of medicine in four years is an impossible task we can only instill principles put the student in the right path give him methods teach him how to study and early to discern between essentials and non-essentials perfect happiness for student and teacher will come with the abolition of examinations which are stumbling blocks and rocks of offence in the pathway of the true student and it is not so utopian as may appear at first blush 
ask any demonstrator of anatomy ten days before the examinations and he should be able to give you a list of the men fit to pass extend the personal intimate knowledge such as is possessed by a competent demonstrator of anatomy into all the other departments and the degree could be safely conferred upon certificates of competency which would really mean a more thorough knowledge of a man's fitness than can possibly be got by our present system of examination i see no way of avoiding the necessary tests for the license to practice before the provincial or state boards but these should be of practical fitness only and not as is now so often the case of a man's knowledge of the entire circle of the medical sciences but what is most important in an introductory lecture remains to be spoken for dead indeed would i be to the true spirit of this day were i to deal only with the questions of the curriculum and say nothing to the young men who now begin the serious work of life personally I have never had any sympathy with the oft-repeated sentiment expressed by Abernethy, I believe, who, seeing a large class of medical students, exclaimed, Good God, gentlemen, whatever will become of you? The profession into which you enter today guarantees to each and every one of you a happy, contented, and useful life. I do not know of any other of which this can be said with greater assurance. Many of you have been influenced in your choice by the example and friendship of the doctor in your family, or of some country practitioner in whom you have recognized the highest type of manhood and whose unique position in the community has filled you with a laudable ambition. You will do well to make such a one your exemplar and i would urge you to start with no higher ambition than to join the noble band of general practitioners they form the very sinews of the profession generous-hearted men with well-balanced cool heads not scientific always but learned in the wisdom not of the laboratories but of the sick-room this school can take a greater pride in her graduates scattered throughout the length and breadth of the continent than in her present splendid equipment they explain in great part the secret of her strength i was much interested the other day in reading a letter of john locke to the earl of peterborough who had consulted him about the education of his son locke insisted that the main point in education is to get a relish of knowledge this is putting life into a pupil get early this relish this clear keen joyance in work with which languor disappears and all shadows of annoyance flee away but do not get too deeply absorbed to the exclusion of all outside interests success in life depends as much upon the man as on the physician Mix with your fellow students, mingle with their sports and their pleasures. You may think the latter rash advice, but nowadays even the pleasures of a medical student have become respectable, and I have no doubt that the footing supper, which in old Coat Street days 
was a bacchanalian orgy has become a love feast in which even the principal and the dean might participate you are to be members of a polite as well as of a liberal profession and the more you see of life outside the narrow circle of your work the better equipped will you be for the struggle i often wish that the citizens in our large educational centres will take a little more interest in the social life of the students many of whom catch but few glimpses of home life during their course as to your method of work i have a single bit of advice which i give with the earnest conviction of its paramount influence in any success which may have attended my efforts in life take no thought for the morrow live neither in the past nor in the future but let each day's work absorb your entire energies and satisfy your widest ambition that was a singular but very wise answer which cromwell gave to Bellevier. no one rises so high as he who knows not whither he is going and there is much truth in it the student who is worrying about his future anxious over the examinations doubting his fitness for the profession is certain not to do so well as the man who cares for nothing but the matter in hand and who knows not whither he is going while medicine is to be your vocation or calling see to it that you have also an avocation some intellectual pastime which may serve to keep you in touch with the world of art of science or of letters begin at once the cultivation of some interest other than the purely professional the difficulty is in a selection and the choice will be different according to your tastes and training no matter what it is but have an outside hobby for the hard-working medical student it is perhaps easiest to keep up an interest in literature let each subject in your year's work have a corresponding outside author when tired of anatomy refresh your mind with oliver wendell holmes after a worrying subject in physiology turn to the great idealists to shelley or keats for consolation when chemistry distresses your soul seek peace in the great pacifier shakespeare and when the complications of pharmacology are unbearable ten minutes with montagna will lighten the burden to the writings of one old physician i can urge your closest attention there have been and happily there are still in our ranks notable illustrations of the intimate relations between medicine and literature but in the group of literary physicians sir thomas brown stands pre-eminent the religio medici one of the great english classics should be in the hands in the hearts too of every medical student as i am on the confessional today i may tell you that no book has had so enduring an influence on my life i was introduced to it by my first teacher the rev w a johnson warden and founder 
of the Trinity College School, and I can recall the delight with which I first read its quaint and charming pages. It was one of the strong influences which turned my thoughts towards medicine as a profession, and my most treasured copy, the second book I ever bought, has been a constant companion for thirty-one years. Comes Vie Vitecae. Trite but true is the comment of Seneca. If you are fond of books, you will escape the ennui of life. You will neither sigh for evening, disgusted with the occupations of the day, nor will you live dissatisfied with yourself or unprofitable to others. And finally, every medical student should remember that his end is not to be made a chemist or physiologist or anatomist, but to learn how to recognize and treat disease, how to become a practical physician. Twenty years ago, during the summer session, I held my first class in clinical medicine at the Montreal General Hospital, and on the title page of a notebook I had printed for the students, I placed the following sentence which you will find the alpha and omega of practical medicine. Not that it by any means covers the whole field of his education. The knowledge which a man can use is the only real knowledge, the only knowledge which has life and growth in it and converts itself into practical power. The rest hangs like dust about the brain or dries like raindrops off the stones. End of chapter 11 After 25 years Recording by Luke Sartor Griffith, New South Wales